You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you guys this morning. It's good to be a part of this uh, series. I've been uh, keeping up with the series over the last several weeks and listening in and uh, finding out kind of where we were. This has been an eventful week for us. Uh, on Tuesday of this week, we uh, welcomed uh, Holden right up here. You'll see that's our youngest uh, son and his wife, uh, Holden Alexander. This is, uh, he came in. And then yesterday, we welcomed uh, Lucy Joy. Yeah. Busy time, busy time. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things, <clears throat> as I was holding Lucy last night and was holding on to her, I thought, wow, this just went from true to real. You know, I mean, this is one of those things where, you know, you're thinking, oh, yeah, they're going to have another kid. Yeah. In fact, these were number 12 and 13 for Melinda and I, and so, uh, not kids, grandkids, but, uh, you know, so, no, definitely not kids. Um, but we were sitting there, and I thought, yeah, it's true, they're going to have these kids. Suddenly, this week happened, and I thought, now it is real. I mean, as we were watching uh, Jen's other three for the last three days, um, it was very real. Uh, so, uh, we are shaped by what is real to us, and what we're going to look at today is, is the subject of love. And um, what I want us to see, our culture has equated love with like something that you just have feelings about or something that just, you know, it's just emotive like that. That is not what the scriptures have to say. And that's not how they, how they line up with that. And so I want us to look a little bit different today and um, see that real love we're going to look at today is not like that at all. So the question I would like us to answer today is this, what is it going to take for you to move love from true to real in your life? What's it going to take for you to move love from true to real in your life? Now, we're continuing to look in the book of 1 John um, there and see what the Father has to tell us through that. So in 1 John 3, verse 11, he says this, For this is the message which we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. In other words, what John says is when we first began to help you grow in following Jesus. That was the very thing you heard from us from the, from the get-go. We should love one another. Then he moves on and he says this, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. He says part of what lets us express the love that we're talking about is we've experienced it. He says, and you, you have a clear example to follow. And then he goes on and he says, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. What he's saying in verse 18 there is don't get the idea that you can reduce this to just talk. Love requires action from us. And then in the following verses, he begins to go on and talk about how the confidence grows in us. And then in verse 23, he says this, This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Now, that last verse right there is what I want us to focus on in our time today. Verse 23, This is the commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. We'll look at the first part of that a little bit later in the message, but what I want us to do is focus on that last part right now, to love one another just as he commanded us. I think as the Spirit of God prompted John to pen these words right here, 
I think one of the things that happened was most likely he thought back to the time that they'd first heard that commandment given to them. It was coming up on the end of three years. They'd been following Jesus. They were going along. They were headed towards Jerusalem because they were going to go there for the Feast of Passover. And so they stop by and they visit with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And everyone's still talking about how Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And they're going along. And as they're doing that, they arrive in Jerusalem. They gathered in a room to celebrate this Passover meal. Then, as they were finishing up the meal, Jesus says these words to them. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. And I'm sure immediately the disciples were like, no, 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 no. No, that's not a new commandment. What are you talking about? No, you've said that, you've said that so many times. I mean, you just keep saying that. I don't know why. We think it's true. Uh, but, you know, you just keep saying love one another. And he goes on and he says there, you know, a new commandment I give you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. See, the disciples all agreed that that was true. Their lives did not reflect that at all. And we'll see a little bit more about that. Jesus says, as I have loved you. As Jesus spoke those words, the disciples that were gathered around him thought back over the last three years of spending time with Jesus. And they thought about how had he loved them? How had they said, because he said, you're to love others as I have loved you. And they thought, how did we experience that? I think one of the very first things that came to their mind was how he accepted them. Jesus accepted people. He accepted the 12. You know, sometimes one of the greatest fears in people's lives that are relating to you is they think, if I'm open and honest about where I am, will I be accepted? The answer needs to be a resounding yes. That needs to be clear. Jesus modeled acceptance, especially with the 12. Um, Mark tells us a little bit more of the backstory of the disciples headed up to Jerusalem. It's a really interesting time. Mark in Mark chapter 10 says this. They were on the road going to Jerusalem. He took the 12 aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priest and the scribes. They will condemn him to death, will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, scourge him, and kill him, and three days later he will rise again. Now, he has just told them what's going to happen to him in the next few days. He has just told them about the painful death that he's going to experience. What was their response? Well, that's very interesting. Read on. He says, James and John. Yes, John, the one who wrote this, and his brother James. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do? And they said, Grant that we may sit one at your right and one on the left in your glory. Now, I mean, have you stopped and thought about that? I mean, Jesus says, guys, I'm going up here. They are going to beat me. They are going to spit on me. They are going to kill me. And the guys go, yeah, yeah. Okay, but when you do die, um, could I sit on your left and could my brother sit on your right? In fact, you read another one that says they even brought their mom along. And she's like, come on, you know, and he's like, no. And so, you know, that's their whole thing. Jesus, though, continued 
to lovingly accept them right where they were and patiently love them. Now, for you to move love from true to real in your life, one of the things that has to be true is you have to accept others. You have to learn to accept others. Now, to do that, I think you need to remember a few things. One, acceptance begins with how you think. Acceptance begins with how you think. You see people as having worth because they're made in God's image. See, there's two ways that you can really look at people. You can look at them as, you know, these sinful, scuzzy, evil people who just happen to be made in the image of God. Or you can see them as God's highest creation who he longs to have fellowship with and longs to love, who just happen to be sinners. And how you view them will make all the difference in the world. For Jesus, it didn't matter whether it was a leper or a blind beggar or a rich young ruler or whoever it was. He saw all of them as having worth and he accepted all of them. Another thing to remember is just acceptance is a dynamic process. I'm sure that was true for the disciples. When Matthew joined the group, Matthew had been a tax collector. In other words, he had gone around and extorted money from his own people. He had, you know, basically ripped them off. He had probably ruined some of them, maybe even some of these guys that were right there. He had destroyed part of their lives. And what they had to do was, when they got around Matthew, they had to get over the fact of who he was. And they had to now begin to accept him for who he was becoming. See, acceptance is a practice, and it's a, it's a dynamic thing. The more you practice it, the better you get at it. So you need to learn that. The third thing on acceptance is acceptance doesn't mean approval. You know, a lot of times people will talk about, you know, accepting someone, and they'll go, well, I don't approve of what they do. So what? You know, you can still accept them. You can love and accept someone without approving of what they do. When Jesus is talking to the woman that's caught in adultery, he doesn't approve of what she's doing. But what he does is he holds on to truth with one hand and extends a hand of grace with the other. That is exactly what we do when we accept people. We hold on to truth and we extend a hand of grace. That needs to be true in each of our lives. For love to move from true to real in your life, you have to accept people. John himself reminds us of the next way that Jesus showed love, and that is he served people. He served people. When they had arrived in Jerusalem, they were all dirty and dusty, and they gather in this room, and the disciples are still working out in their minds who has the best reputation. And at dinner, Luke reminds us that the disciples get into this heated argument about which one of them is really considered the greatest. Now, I mean, you can see where their focus is. You know, which one of them is really considered the greatest? And Jesus responds in two ways. First, he acts. John 13 says, He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Then he speaks. He says, For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. What Jesus did was he reminded them of what greatness really was about. Jesus, as John reflected, had always looked for ways to serve people. When there were 5,000 people there, he fed them. Why did, why did he feed them? 
They were hungry. That's right. He did the same thing with 4,000. When he washed the disciples' feet, why did he wash them? Because they were dirty. He looked for practical ways. Jesus always looked for practical ways to meet needs. He met practical needs. In fact, you see that later on in John 13. When Peter comes up and Jesus starts to wash his feet, and Peter goes, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Then Peter goes, well, wash me all over. And Jesus goes, no. Um, thank you. Um, just your feet. That's all we need to work on here. And so he does. You know, Jesus was very practical in the way he served. One of the questions I have for you is, you know, are you thought of as a servant? Are you thought of someone that's really ready to serve others? If you're going to move love from true to real in your life, you must begin to serve people. You must begin to serve people. John also remembered that Jesus loved by forgiving. He forgave people. The disciples had experienced that many, many times over those three years. I mean, many times. But probably the most vivid illustration of that was going to come that very night when Peter had um, been there with Jesus. Now, Peter was not... He and Jesus had a great relationship. It was an interesting relationship. It was not because Peter was like this model disciple. In fact, he usually just opened his mouth to exchange feet. And he would go about his work. But, you know, Peter was over there. Peter had the distinction of being the only disciple rebuked by God the Son and God the Father. I mean, you know, no one else had that. You know, I mean, if you remember at the one point, um, Jesus is over there and he says, hey, who, who are guys saying that I am? And they said, well... Some are saying Jeremiah, some are saying Elijah. Then he stops me and he says, hey, but who do you say that I am? And at that point, Peter steps up and Peter says, you are the son. He says, you, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my father is in heaven. And then Jesus began to relay to them a little bit more about what was going to happen to him. And Peter goes, <clears throat> Jesus you know, kind of calls him over and, and starts telling Jesus, you, you can't say this. And then what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. And you're like, hmm, just went from being an A student, right? You just, you know, not good. A little while later, they, Jesus takes them up on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter and James and John, has the three of them up there, and they see Jesus transfigured before, before people. And as they do, it says, Peter, not knowing what to say, said, and I thought, that's Peter. You know, he doesn't know what to say, but he's ready to talk. And, you know, that's exactly what he does. Well, that night that Jesus gives this command, you are to love as I have loved you, right after that, he and Peter have this exchange. Peter said, I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And once again, Jesus was exactly right. In fact, you know, in his greatest hour of need, with the weight of the world on his shoulders, Peter denies him. What is Jesus' response? He forgives him and puts him in charge of the whole thing. You're like, whoa, are you serious? Yeah, yeah. See, for love to move from true to real in your life, you have to really learn how to forgive people. Now, how do you do that? Well, there, there are four simple steps to learning how to forgive people. The very first one is this. Identify who owes you. 
And the reason I say who owes you is whenever someone has sinned against you, when someone has done something to you, they've set up kind of this debt-debtor relationship with you. And, you know, that's why you hear people say, he owes me. You know, it's this thought, you know, he has something that is not settled between us. So figure out who owes you. Now, the way you can do that, just sit around and think, who am I angry with? Who, whenever I see them or their name is brought up, my blood pressure begins to rise a little bit, or I just feel like, oh, oh, I've got a story to tell about them. Or, you know, who is that? Begin to think about that. It may be several. It may be one. See, our problem a lot of times is we're so good with so many people that we try to just take the ones we're not good with and just kind of shove them aside. No, you can't do that. You have to actually choose to forgive. You have to actually choose to forgive. So identify who owes you. Then determine what they owe. And you need to be very specific there. Write it down. Be very specific. Like, you know, what did they, what did they take? Maybe they took respect. Maybe they took opportunity. Maybe they took, you know, something very tangible in your life. Whatever it was they took, write it down. See, you say, well, why do you need to be specific? Can't you just forgive? No. I mean, you can't. Not and really, truly forgive. Like, if, if I go over to Dale and I'm talking to Dale and I say, Dale, hey, I was at your house today and I just kind of took something. Would you forgive me? What's he going to ask? What did you take? You know, I mean, if I say, well, it was an apple. It was on the, oh, good night, yeah. If I say, it was your car. You know, I mean, it's going to be a little different response. You know, I mean, you, you've got to know what you're forgiving in order to truly forgive. That's why some people struggle with that for years. They've forgiven in a general way. You need to forgive in a specific way. Determine what they owe. Cancel the debt. What you do there is you just decide, you know what? They do not owe it anymore. I forgive it. And you say, well, it's not that easy. Yes, it is. Well, <laughs> you don't know what they did. No, I don't. But you know what I do know? You can do that. It is a choice. And the last thing you do, close the case. Now, what does that mean? Well, don't rehearse it. Don't keep rehearsing it in your heart. Don't repeat it. Don't repeat it to others. Don't reuse it against them. Never bring it up again to use against them. See, I deal with that regularly. In fact, the other day I was reading this post that someone had put online, and I noticed that as I did, there was kind of this mm, little thought inside of me, and I thought, what's going on? And as I sat there and thought about it, I thought, you know, I don't really care for that guy. And I thought, why do I not really care for him? So I pull out my yellow pad and I begin to figure out, why do I not really care about this guy? And within just a short amount of time, now granted, I've been doing this for a while, but within just a short amount of time, I was able to identify that, cancel that out, and move on. And I'm good with him now. But you know, you have to choose to do that for love to move from true to real in your life. You have to forgive people. Lastly, one facet that most likely struck John's memory the most when he penned this was how Jesus befriended them. How Jesus befriended them. That same night that he had commanded them to love, he was giving them some perspective, and he says this in John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus befriended them. I was talking to this friend in December of this last year. 
And he was in his late 80s, 89. And I said, Jim, um, you know, you've walked with God a long time. How is it different in your 80s? Because I'm looking towards that one of these days, God willing. And he said, um, you know, it's more of a friendship. He said, there's a lot of memories built up together of things we've done. And he said, but it's a friendship. He said, I, I, I really feel a, a deep sense of friendship with God. See, and that's what Jesus did. He befriended people. He did all the things with the disciples that a friend does. They went to weddings. They went to funerals. Now, granted, he raised the guy from the dead, but I mean, he went to funerals. They went to barbecues. Um, they went to picnics, sometimes with four or 5,000. They went boating. They hung out at uh, their homes, you know. Uh, they helped each other. They corrected. They ministered together. They shared insights. Jesus let them into his life and schedule. He let them into his life and schedule over and over and over. For love to move from true to real in your life, you have to befriend people. You have to befriend people. So what does real love look like? Well, real love accepts people. It serves people. It forgives people, and it befriends people. Is real love a characteristic of your life? I mean, if someone else were talking about you, would they consider, you know, that, boy, that's, that's them. See, your impact on the world is going to flow out of the way you love those that God has placed within your sphere of influence. And so Melinda and I have gotten to have kind of a front row seat at that for the last 34 years at USC. And what I, <clears throat> excuse me, what I did this morning was I asked one of them if they would share. We were going to have a couple of students. I thought, well, I'll bring some that are live. But we also have two weddings that are going on uh, this weekend. One of them occurs a little bit later today, and many of the students are helping out there. So I just asked one of them that graduated and stuff if she could share a little bit. Now, Grace Ann's going to be the one that's going to share. So let's just listen to her and hear what she has to say. I was an 18-year-old theater major when I arrived at USC and thought I was there to be famous for Jesus, but God showed me that he had other things he wanted to do through my life to make himself known. So I met Neil and Melinda and some of the challenge staff and students early on and wasn't sure I was going to plug in there. I, I didn't think I was going to fit in with the biology majors and the engineering majors, and I didn't think it would be fun. So it took me hitting rock bottom and realizing that I needed help in staying close to God in California and in a theater major, which was pulling me away, away from God. And so I just knew God was telling me that these should be my friends. So I jumped in wholeheartedly to challenge and started going to everything that I could and quickly found that these people became some of the dearest people to me and that I had more in common than, with them than I thought and that they were willing to jump into my world. They came to my place, they brought me flowers, they helped me when I needed help and they just made me feel accepted and they were authentic, which was something I hadn't experienced where people could really be walking closely with God and yet talk about the struggles they were having and how God was working through those things and growing them. And so I began to grow, and then as I began to get my feet under me, I also began to help other girls grow. Um, and then after I graduated, I, went out, I ended up going on staff with Challenge. 
And with that, uh, Neil sat us down one day and said, for those of you who haven't been on a mission trip, maybe you should consider going. And I felt like God was telling me that that was me and I should pray about that. And Xi'an China is what popped in my mind. So I ended up helping to co-lead a team of college students to Xi'an China, which was um, somewhere I didn't even know where it was when I first had those words pop in my brain. Um, and just for context, I kind of grew up thinking I wanted to go to Europe and I wanted to go to France because I had studied French and the developing world was never on my radar. So we showed up jet lagged as a team of seven to this building that was falling apart and dark. And that first night I was alone in my room and I just said, God, I don't think I can make it through the seven weeks. I don't know how I'm going to make it. Um, but about two weeks into our time there, we saw the Holy Spirit moving in such ways that it just made all the external things and fears dissipate. And God ended up leading me back to Xi'an for two more years. <laughs> and, and during that time, I met my husband, who was living in a village in China, which was also another stretch for me to embrace. But we ended up going back to a city near that village later after we were married with our first daughter. And then he led us to um, adopt while we were in China and we moved back to the US with a newly adopted daughter who we learned had cerebral palsy. And so we landed in the States and um, began to learn how to care for her. And so for the past 10 years, things have looked really different um, than the adventure that living overseas is. And it's been more of a just day-to-day -day mundane um, journey. But God has really impressed on our hearts the verse in James um, that pure and undefiled religion is this before God our Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained from the world. And we have seen that, that um, by caring for our daughter and, and literally also caring for widows around us, we happen to be placed in the midst of um, actually several people from unreached people groups on our street and then also several widows who we have just begun to love and try and reach out to as God puts them on our hearts. Like my husband's mowed our next door neighbor's yard for two years. Um, she's an 80 year old widow. And then there are other people on our streets, similar things. We either take the meals if the ambulance has been there or um, we've just gotten to know people as God has um, put them on our hearts. But um, yeah, it's just looked a lot different than when we were maybe reaching the masses now that we're called to maybe a few. Um, and really, he's put on my heart just being called to the one because of the way adopting our daughter has really changed our life and what we can and can't do. But it also has really focused us on the people he wants to love. And it's opened up this whole other um, realm of connection with people that maybe we wouldn't have had connection with before. And my experience at Challenge has just shown me that that God wants us to love all types of people in all walks of life and has shown us how to do that at really different times and with in different places and with different people. You know, for you today, as we wrap up, you know, you may need to think about next steps for you. You know, some may need to uh, change perspective on accepting. Uh, some may need to begin to serve and look how to meet practical needs in people's lives. Uh, some may need to befriend and invite people more into your life. Some may need to really forgive and cancel out the debt. And you know, if you're finding those things difficult 
Um, I told you we'd look at that first part of the verse again. We'll go back to that right now. Um, in 1 John 3, 23, he says, This is the commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. As Lance referenced a couple of weeks ago, that's kind of the entrance into the kingdom in the first place. And what I would tell you is if you haven't experienced that, then, you know, for love to move from true to real in your life, it's awfully hard to give out of what you haven't experienced. So maybe the next step for you today would be to step in to a relationship that God has for you with his son. And so let me pray for us, and then we'll invite the uh, band back up to uh, share. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the fact that um, you showed us what real love was all about. When you chose to humble yourself and come to the earth in the form of a man and live a model life, live a sinless life here, showing us exactly how to live and how to love others. And then, Father, you chose to pay the ultimate price to take our place on the cross and, and to die in our place so that we could have a relationship with you that would be unbroken forever. And we're so grateful for that. Father, help us to focus on what's been done for us so that we can really love others well. We pray that in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church Podcast.